Welcome to Changing Reels, a bi-weekly podcast that celebrates diversity in cinema both in front of and behind the camera by revisiting overlooked and underappreciated films and exploring their pop culture significance. My name is Courtney Small. And I'm Andrew Hathaway. Our show is hosted by the fine folks at ModernSuperior.com. Uh, we highly recommend you visit their site because we post links to our short films that we discuss in each episode there. And also you can discover great podcasts such as the upcoming podcast, After All, a Mary Tyler Moore podcast, which is going to be hosted by Ariel Fisher, who you may know from the A Frame Apart podcast, and her mom. They're going to be talking about Mary Tyler Moore, and I think it's going to be awesome. Also, Modern Superior has a Patreon page, so if you want to support the network, the various podcasts, you can do so for as little as $2 a month. That's cheap cheaper than a TIFF ticket. Heck, it's cheaper than a popcorn at TIFF. Lastly, we highly recommend that you give us a listen on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you're finding us. Tell your friends to find us. And if you're on iTunes, please give us a rating because all feedback is good feedback. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm okay. I'm uh, doing the busy thing, still keeping up on Can't Stop the Movies. And uh, I would like to put this out in advance for any Twin Peaks fans out there. You know that Part 18 and Part 17 of The Return just wrapped up this last last Sunday, and I'm going to be rejoining with uh, old partner Kyle, who joined us early on for our Upstream Color podcast, and he described his academic interest in Lynch many years ago as he's watched Mulholland Drive so many times, you could make it a touching story about Christmas. So I'm kind of curious what we're going to get cooked up to about. So if that sounds like something that's going to be up your alley, that's actually going to be over at Can't Stop the Movies and the Can't Stop the Movies Patreon. While Twin Peaks fans, there may be a few less of them after this season wrapped up, considering how it wrapped up, for those of us who remain, or those who still maintain a intellectual curiosity in the Lynch way to go, please give us a listen. Other than that, my man, just staying nice and productive and working on this stuff. Oh, excellent. I'm looking forward to uh, catching up with the Twin Peaks, this return. I've seen the uh, online discussions and debates and everyone freaking out, so I look forward to experiencing it all, and even in its weirdness. Well, it's Lynch. The dude's, I think, something like 73 at this point, so I will take any reason to celebrate more awesomeness from him. This may be one of the last things we ever get, unless he gets that coveted Episode 9 slot, which would be a hilarious way to bow out. That would be awesome. So yes, to our listeners, just so you know, I am like really off my game today. (laughs) I'm dead dead tired. I'm not even going to lie. I've it's been uh, a, a rough couple of days just trying to get some things tied up before TIFF starts. And was it last week that you had mentioned that when we first started this show, our first episode went up just as TIFF was starting? So I think we've been doing this for a year. We have. So uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us on that time. And Courtney, thank you for upping your caffeine intake, even if the verbal results aren't quite, <laughs> quite what you wanted. Oh, I, I'm going to need to. I just... It was just a really late night trying to get some stuff done, and then I've got like an early morning starting with TIFF tomorrow, so it's going to uh, be a long, tiring fest. It's never good if you go into the festival already tired or if you go into the festival with a cold because it just makes it like a much longer you know, 11 days, but <laughs> the movies will hopefully recharge me. I would say that if you had the time, a light head cold and utterly exhausted would be a great way to start Twin Peaks. But (laughs) I'm also the dude who was running like a 103 degree fever when I had kidney stones and decided that that was the best time to start watching Ingmar Bergman movies. So uh, I may not be the best home remedy person for this kind of stuff, but uh, I also like screwing with my brain when I'm abnormally tired. 
whichever direction you decide to go, Courtney, I think you'll do just fine. And you've been a fine partner this last year. Yes, it's been good. And uh, we'll see what year two has to offer. The short films that we have today, I think, will at least energize your your short in particular. I'm, I'm very interested in, in why you chose it because I... I just want to hear why you chose this one. Okay, fair enough. The movie we're going to be talking about later is Drew Barrymore's only directorial effort to date, Whip It. So I wanted to keep things nice and light on the short side of things, but also focus on that bond of sisterhood that forms so much of the core of Whip It. Oddly enough, I was looking for a roller derby short. Somehow, doing the short of the week search for roller derby led me to When Perry Met Allie. I liked the title right off the bat because it instantly hints at something romantic. One of the things I've enjoyed in this podcast for the last year or so is, is kind of broadening our definition of romantic. Two girls bonding over a poop experience that they had when they went to orientation. It's not conventionally romantic. It may be a little more, there's something about Mary romantic. But I'm a sucker for reenactments where the participants narrate their experiences, but <laughs> but their words come out of other people's mouths. So despite the fact that we're listening to the same two voices, we see a, a lot of different people reenacting the story as Allie and Perry talk about how they met and how they were nervous going to college. And then, of course, we get to the pooping. I just wanted something that focused on that kind of friendship. And this was weird enough, especially with the reenactment portions, that I watched it and I was like, yeah, this is romantic. It's not, I'm going to put on some boys to men and light some incense romantic, but I love the idea of friendship that's being presented here. So it's weird. It's short. It's got reenactment stuff that I adore. And that's why I picked it. It's a really inspired choice. I think, yeah, it doesn't have to fit with anything roller derby or sports, and, I, and I'm perfectly fine with that because I found it charming and delightful and funny. And yeah, I didn't really get the romantic aspect of it. I mean, I guess at the beginning when they were talking, when one of them was mentioning about how traveling this distance to, I guess, to go to university or wherever they were going, how it was like marrying off of a blind date. <laughs> I think that's. <laughs> I, that. I thought that was. At first, I'm like, oh, is this going to be a romance thing? And then I just found it to be just a really great tale of friendship bonding and the fact that it incorporates potty humor, but does it in such a creative and authentic way that you kind of identify with everything that these two women are going through. And the reenactments, I thought, were really well done, especially when they can't quite nail down exactly who did what first. So sometimes we'll see something as simple as them getting off the bus done two different ways, and they were standing beside each other. And then, no, no, someone was in between us. And you know, <laughs> every two minutes, the, the shot just kind of changes to fit whoever's talking. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. Well, it had that great way of playing with our memories and how even our most treasured memories that form a, a core part of who we are, they're not the same. What one person notices versus the other person is going to be fundamentally different no matter who you are. But it doesn't change how important that connection is or how wonderful that connection can be. Because the thing that I loved about the getting off the bus portion was with it, I can't remember who specifically was narrating at that point. But she trips over her words because she's laughing so hard. And when she laughs, it's while the crew are getting off the bus. So the shot has to restart itself because she made herself laugh telling the story. I loved that. And then there, <laughs> there was also the great moment when Perry 
pulls out that roll of toilet paper, and then it cuts to their guide, and she can't remember the exact advice that the guide gave, so the guide is just going like, yeah, it's bad, and so, you know... Whatever. Yeah, toilet paper's bad. Bad for the the environment. Bad for the environment. <laughs> That's why it's romantic to me. Just not in a in a, in a lovey dovey. Well, it is lovey dovey. That's that's why I'm saying it's romantic. I'm just saying that our conventions of romance are so limited to specific relationships that have to have a sexual component to them. The, the fact that these two girls were so open with each other right off the bat <laughs> that 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 kind of pooping adventure is something that. I could imagine maybe some friends that are a bit more comfortable with me having or or sharing, but like the first night you're meeting people at a freshman orientation, that's completely different. We have such trouble admitting that we love our friends. Just saying, I love you, friend, but not meaning it in a, oh, I want to bone you way. And that's also why the When Perry Met Allie is such a great title, because it turns that idea on its head. When Harry Met Sally has that immortal sequence where they argue over whether men and women could ever really be friends. And I like the way the the title, as well as the short, kind of repurposes the idea of romance and love to show that it could just be a really close friendship instead of it being some grand, torrid, bodice-ripping affair. And it just has a lot of damn fun in the meantime doing that. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say is I liked also how it plays with perception because, you know, when you're going to school, whether it be high school, university, college, whatever, for the first time, and you're meeting all these new people, you instantly think everyone is cooler than you. And I yeah, like how they're like, oh, all the kids are so cool. And you look at them, you're like, oh, they don't actually look that cool. But from but when you think back to that time, you're like, yeah, I remember everyone you met, you thought was a lot cooler and far with it than you are. And they show them, and like I guess, in their own little rooms before leaving. And one has uh, a Harry the Spy poster and like Spice Girls, while the other one has Destiny's Child and all that you know and it's like no they're pretty much kind of on the same page but it's just that perception that happens especially with youth and now that we're in september and kids are going back to school and and students are going back in it's like yeah you you do remember that time and that awkwardness sad to say i don't want to throw your theory into too much whack but i never really had that boy these folks are cool moment i am an aggressively introverted loner so uh, maybe this movie ended up touching me deeply in spite of myself so <laughs> so congratulations hannah worker perry and ally thank you so much for sharing your story because it, it was very lovely and your short, while not maybe as fun and uplifting, does feature some athleticism that is near and dear to my heart. So why don't you tell us a bit about it? So the film that I picked was Luchadora, and it was directed by River Finlay. It's a documentary short about this female wrestler in Mexico uh, as part of the Lucha Libre circuit. I believe her name is Luna Magica. She is one of only 18 females in a league of like 200 men. Lucha Libre is a very popular wrestling form, and it's all basically about her struggles, and especially her struggles as a single mother. And 
this one just kind of got to me. It wasn't like a fun, upbeat one. Like there's some really touching emotional moments, but I wanted to keep with the theme of females in sports and especially in sports that society doesn't traditionally think of them in. And, and this one stuck out to me. It talks a lot about sexism on, on various levels, not just professional, but personal, but also the struggles for where Luna's coming from in terms of her environment and how she's trying her best to be a good mom and raise her daughter and hopefully try and reconnect with her son at some point. This is a subject that I could go on at great lengths about, no matter which country you want to posit it in. With Luna Magica, I was wondering who it is that she lost her mask to, or because that's one tradition in Lucha Libre, like losing your mask or being unmasked is this horrible dishonor. But she wrestled maskless, so just because of what little bit I already knew about wrestling, I was like, okay, she's already got a little bit of interesting character in her. The realities with sexism when it comes to professional wrestling specifically, they're horrible. I used to be a WCW kid, and then I watched a lot of WWE after WCW went under, and it used to be bra and panties matches, gravy bowl matches, and mud pit matches. These women can do some seriously slick stuff, but they were just seen as titillation or eye candy. And one of the things that I absolutely loved that River Finlay left in with this is you get that quick aside with the one wrestler who got body slammed a lot, and then she reveals that she's four. 14 years old. Now, there is a bit of a problem with youngsters inching their way into professional wrestling by lying about their age when they shouldn't be doing that sort of stuff. At the same time, it was great seeing that respect get carried over to another generation, another generation of women who were unafraid to get out there and be body slammed even if they're 14. And a lot of the little domestic details, they are hurt to look at. Luna Magica, and I realized that, you know, with documentary shorts and stuff, we could be presented with exaggerated slice, either good or bad, of the people involved. Luna Magica, you know, with, with her cooking on the stove and her dropping little details about what it was like losing her son because the courts thought her lucha libre lifestyle wasn't something to raise a kid in after the dad dropped off the face of the planet. These wrestlers really struggle. They're almost universally considered independent contractors. They tend to have to pay their own way for a lot of things, so even if they're really popular, they may not make as much money as their appearance would indicate or their skills would indicate. So just from my knowledge of the wrestling circuits and what's gone on in the past and what continues to go on, I really respect River's choice to leave that all in, but also see how that hard work is appreciated by the next generation. Even though she achieves a certain level of success in the ring, when you see her life outside, as you mentioned, you could tell she's really not getting that much money from it. But just the fact that she's inspiring the next generation you can see kind of warms her heart, but at the same time, there's moments where you see some of the other wrestlers, like one of the, I don't think they gave you the person, the wrestler's name, but um, they, they show a clip of two men wrestling and one of them does a move and throws down the other guy. And he says, that's how I beat my wife. I'm thinking you're saying that while there's a whole bunch of young kids watching it. Right. So as much as she's trying to be a positive influence, you've still got hundreds of these men who are being awful influences. 
all for the sake of showmanship and whatnot. And I kept thinking the entire time how difficult it must be night in and night out you know, to go wherever they're touring and to try and put on a brave face and do your job while you're still kind of at the bottom of the ring, even though you're trying to elevate yourself to the top. The way I look at it is that the professional wrestling industry overall is treated with the same level of respect as stunt workers in the cinematic industry. They're doing live, extremely dangerous stunts that they're only able to get through with a lot of training and concentration during their matches. It doesn't really shy away from the physicality of that, again, going back to the 14-year-old girl getting body slammed, but they deserve a lot of respect. But it has this image of catering to a lowest common denominator, and as a longtime viewer of wrestling, especially during the Attitude Era where the beer flowed and the blood flowed just as freely, it had to work pretty hard to attain another level of legitimacy that it had in the 80s and uh, independent southern promotions and such this looked like a tribute that didn't condescend i'm really happy that the focus was kept on what example the performers were setting yeah Um, i like that as well yeah instead of catering to the crowd because again we could go on a whole thing about what the crowd knows or what the crowd doesn't know but she can only set the example that she can set the extra knowledge that i can bring into it cool that's great but at the end of the day this is just an effective portrait of a woman both professionally and domestically being unfairly maligned because she's good at what she does and that she had to do that because of her economic situation being in an environment because she describes growing up in a tough city where she had to learn how to fight and by golly (laughs) she's learned how to do that and has gotten at least some degree of success. So I do enjoy that it didn't shy away from the example that they were setting, positively and negatively, but also that we we got to see a great performer do their thing for a little bit, but not being blind to the circumstances that surround it. I think this film does a great job of offering that type of balance. Even though I was still thinking about all the hardships she was going through, I did have a smile on my face when I was seeing her and her partner in the ring doing their routine, their genuine reaction afterwards, after that big important match. It is definitely an inspiring film, even though it's not necessarily the most upbeat. Yeah, and I think that the big moment for me was towards the very end when she finally got to take that walk on a pay-per-view quality set. And I was like, girl, you got this. (laughs) So I liked this a lot, too. Well, you know what? We're going to keep the theme of female empowerment going in just a moment, but we're going to take a quick break to change our reels. Our feature film today is Whip It, the 2009 comedy directed by Drew Barrymore, based on the novel Derby Girl by Shauna Cross. The film focuses on a young teenager named Bliss Cavender, who is from the fictional town of Bodine, Texas, and one day discovers the joys of roller derby and pretty much tries out and makes one of the... Sorry. Uh, tries out out and makes one of the one I think the one of the four or five roller derby teams in this particular league 
And she does so in secret because her mom has dreams of her becoming a, I guess, professional beauty pageant contestant. So, Andrew, before you start getting your elbows high and whipping it around the ring, why did you pick this film today? I gotta throw them elbows, yo. Otherwise, we're gonna be in an unfortunate situation when it comes time to slap on the skates. I'm a longtime rollerblading enthusiast. I used to play some roller hockey. So, you know, I have a bit of personal vested interest there. The big thing with Whip It is, you know, this movie is almost a decade old. Prior to this point, I only watched it one other time, but something with it just keeps nagging at me, and my brain wanted very badly to revisit Whip It and see what it was about it that kept it so fresh in my head. What I wasn't quite expecting going back to this, because I remembered some of the comedic bits, I remembered the sisterhood, it is just filled with nuanced relationships, start to finish. Everyone that enters Babe Ruthless, and that's what she decides to call herself, I'll respect that, we're going to avoid the bliss for now. Babe Ruthless, everyone that comes into contact with her, there's a complicated relationship going on, and even with the folks in the background, there's complicated stuff going on with them, too. I think that what sums up my love of Whip It, best, other than some of the fantastic character work done by Daniel Stern in particular. When you have that confrontation at the very end between Babe Ruthless and Iron Maiden, played by one of my favorite, deeply underappreciated actresses, Juliette Lewis, who a lot of people got sick of because she was in a lot of 90s movies, but she was in a lot of great 90s movies, and she was excellent in them. But they have that confrontation at the end where Babe Ruthless accuses her of letting the secret out that she she was too young to be in this roller derby league. And Iron Maven's up front with her. I didn't want to have you lose because of some rumor. I wanted to beat your ass in those skates. That little character interaction right at the end, it, it speaks so much to how strong and comfortable all these girls are on their skates, in their skirts, in their battle gear, in their elbow pads, and bumping to and fro, that there's a sisterhood even beyond that bonding in team. There's a respect intra team that I appreciate, and it just touches me. There's so much detail into all the relationships, but at the end, it's basically about respecting the hell out of your opponent even if they keep busting your nose open it's interesting because i had fond memories of whip it but re-watching it i think i had fond memories of wishing it being a different film let me clarify this by saying i enjoy whip it um but <laughs> it's there's certain things i struggle with how the film i guess is kind of put together because i think the bond amongst the women is great but watching it this time around i kept wondering like well who's the real i don't say the villain of the piece because it's not really a villain it's pretty much babe ruthless coming to terms with who she is standing up to her mom who has a certain ideal is trying to live a, a certain dream through her that is not going to be achieved one of the things that kept taking me out of this film is i didn't see a lot of the actors as characters i saw them more as themselves and it was still enjoyable to watch them kind of go through the motions but whenever i see zoe bell and eve i don't think bloody holly or rosa sparks i think oh there's even jimmy fallon as much as he has some like great one-liners i'm still like oh there's jimmy fallon doing his shtick it kept taking me out of it it's one of those things where i don't know i think i wish that the film was a little more cohesive in terms of what it's trying to achieve. Because I think there's a lot of interaction with the characters, as you mentioned, but I don't think all of them work. 
cohesive is the last thing I would have expected there, because I think that the story beats are familiar, sure, and they follow a pretty standard trajectory, but it is those little moments in the relationships that make this special, so I can't quite follow you on the cohesive front. And then on the character front, Ellen Page is playing very much against type here. Like, she's so used to being the too smart for this room, emotional, but super on it girl, and it was nice seeing her lost and vulnerable here compared to something, say, like Hard Candy, where she's turning the predation around, or Juno, where she's kind of smart-allocating her way to deal with the pain. This is also the only movie I found Kristen Wiig to be tolerable in. I'm not a really big fan of hers or her brand of comedy, but I do absolutely adore her in Zoolander 2 with her ridiculously impenetrable accent. I wish I could say I, I got where you were coming from there. Cohesion in the story, I think that if you wanted to level a criticism against its cohesion, it'd be maybe that it's too by the numbers. It doesn't sound like that's the case. The formula is kind of the traditional sports formula, the underdog story. But I, I think what I mean by cohesion, and maybe that's not the right word, but let's use Kristen Wiig's character as an example, Maggie Mayhem. She has some great moments towards the end of the film with Babe Ruthless, and especially when she's kind of giving that speech to say, you don't realize how good you have it. What you think are, are your problems aren't that big a deal. They're not as damaging as some of the other stuff that we have to go through. But to get to that point, for, for a good portion of the film, Maggie Mayhem is just kind of there. Like when she's with the girls and they're doing the roller derby, you kind of get a few laughs here or there. But I don't feel like I, I get to really know any of the characters. So even Iron Maven, who is a really cool character. I agree with you on Julia Lewis. I think she should be in far more stuff than she is now but she is presented early on as the big bad of the roller derby circuit this is the one that you're gonna have to beat she'll laugh at you do whatever but you realize well no she's not really that bad she's just just a solid competitor oh okay there's not enough interaction even when they have that little food interaction it turns into a fun fluffy food fight i think i'm torn on this film because it's not like something um like how we were talking about with Sofia Coppola's The Bling Ring, where I had like an honest dislike for a lot of it. This one, I enjoy watching, but there's a lot of things in that that go, oh, this film could be so much better had they made more of these characters. Even with the mother, the mother is fairly rich in terms of her flaws and what she's trying to deal with, but we only get snippets of it. Bruce Dern is fantastic in his brief moments, but it, we only get snippets. So I feel like all these little segments don't necessarily add up to a cohesive whole. And that's how I'm, and I guess that's how I look at it, right? They're like, yeah, they're little moments here and there, but when I put them all together in the grand scheme of things, I, I walk away thinking, okay, so her life wasn't really that bad. It's almost like the, I don't want to say the reverse pixie girl thing, but it's, it felt like a, a very, uh, I don't even want to use the word hipster because I'm putting too many connotations. But it, it, it does feel like her – I'm trying to figure out how best to articulate what the issues I have. And I know the listeners are probably like, ah, he's crazy. The film is fun, what have you. But I just feel like a lot of Babe Ruth's problems didn't wrap me as real big problems. It's like, oh, okay, she's discovering herself. But everything kind of flows very smoothly in terms of – in the grand scheme of things – Okay, you, you had to basically have that chat with your mom. Dad had to put on his big boy pants and stand up for his daughter. Whereas some of the supporting characters were actually interesting, but we don't get enough of them. And I think that's my problem. It's a fun film to watch, but at the end of the day, it doesn't last long in my mind. 
I have such a face right now. <laughs> I um, can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying, my friend. I can't really get what you're going for. No, her problems aren't earth shattering. It's not like a Juno situation where she got pregnant. The movie is made in all those little nuanced moments. Like Marsha Gay Harden, one of the touches that I loved about her character was when she's trying to balance what's going on at home. She's always coming back to the house tired and ragged in that post office uniform. If Marsha Gay Harden wasn't so comfortable and settled in to project that amount of tiredness, that it would have come across as condescending working class detail. But the exhaustion is there, and she's exhausted to the point of mania trying to drive Babe Ruthless to partake in these balls that she has no real desire to do so. It's how mature those small moments are, like after they have their big fight and Babe Ruthless doesn't have anything to say that's smart or witty or as a comeback, she just says that this is all bullshit and leaves. I liked that. I liked that it was willing to cut the crap and get straight to what these people were feeling, no matter what else was going on in the background, you know, with Stern and Stern's acting during that fight is phenomenal. The way that his face contorts from rage to, oh boy, she's got something of a point here, to a torn love for both his wife and his daughter towards the end. He just does so much. And then you have those lovely moments with Earl and... And Babe, when she finds out that Earl has his little turtle nest, I guess we'd call them man caves now, but I like how she referred to it as turtling up. And he gives her a beer, and he says, you can't have the beer, but you can have a sip of it. And she just quietly gulps the whole thing. The grin that he gives as he throws the can away. Whippet is made in those small moments. It hints at how long these people have been sitting in their comfortable ruts, or their routines, and need something as weird and aggressive as roller derby to shake them out of it and bring them together. I'm glad that the stakes weren't higher. Hmm, that's interesting. Like I, I like when you were talking about that Bruce Dern scene in the uh, the turtle dust. I I enjoyed that scene as well. You keep saying Bruce Dern. It's Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern. Sorry, I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> it's okay. I Bruce Dern's a great yeah. actor. Yes, but yeah, but you know that those moments I, I do enjoy. I know it may not come across. But I do enjoy the film. I just wish it connected with me more that it lasted in my mind. Watching it again reminded me how I felt after I left the theater, right? And it was one of those where I was like, oh, yeah, whip it, you know, watch it, had a good time, and then the next day, it kind of just left my mind. And then for, somehow... <laughs> I had this illusion that, oh, Whippet really loved that movie. And then I watched it again. I was like, no, I, I remember now that I enjoy it. It's fun to watch, but it's not one that really sticks with it. The sisterhood aspect of it is nice, but I kind of wish that there was more of it. Even the roller derby aspects. Like I remember they used to show one of the roller derby leagues when I was growing up. I remember seeing it on TV. I don't know if they were showing it like in reruns or what, but I, I remember being fascinated by it. And you used to come on like every Sunday night, so you, you'd sit and watch it. And I thought the roller derby scenes were shot well but i don't know there wasn't anything i was trying to think of like is there was there anything that she did that was invigorating about those particular scenes you know like i know we were you're talking a lot about the different character moments and character beats but whenever i saw drew barrymore her, you know her character come on the screen it immediately i was like oh all right i'm not looking at her as her character i'm seeing her as drew barrymore kind of being the goofball and i think just because i didn't really 
get too much from a lot of these exterior characters on the team. They have a line here, they have a line there. It's great, but at the end of the day, I, I couldn't really tell you that much about any of those women outside of Kristen Wiig because she had that one scene. And I think that's why it doesn't linger in my mind. I don't want to call it one of those, um, well, I have a term I would call like a, a TBS film where there's certain films that you don't mind sitting down and watching if it's on, but you're not going to go out of your way to find it. For me, that's what Whippet kind of is. I enjoy it. You know, if it's on, I might sit there and, and watch if, if it's on. It just doesn't stick with me the way that I would hope this type of film would. Even with the TBS designation, the syndication of the Shawshank Redemption was one of the things that actually helped keep it in the cultural conversation. So I can't quite... Well, I would, but I would argue, though, that Shawshank is the type of film that, due to its subject matter and what, it's not one that would instantly grab people. It wasn't one that people were like, oh, I got to rush out to the theater to see. But when people actually see it, it hits you on an emotional level. You can think of like a lot of great moments in Shawshank and it just touches you deeply, even if it's just a simple scene of them watching a film with the grins on their faces where there's nothing here, at least for me, that really hit me on a deep level. Like the romance, it didn't really do much for me. Him throwing the keys in the field, oh, kind of charming, but it did nothing. Her relationship with Pash, I thought, was nice, but then we didn't get enough of that because once she started doing the roller derby, Pash is just kind of thrown away. So I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of characters that come in, but for me, they just don't resonate the way that I would hope. Well, we're definitely doing a good cop, bad cop thing today. Because <laughs> um, when you were talking about the, the relationship and then, of course, the moments on the derby field, I, I, my mind immediately shot to derby-wise all of the stuff with Andrew Wilson as Razor, which was fantastic. Him just trying to get everyone to run the plays. And when you were saying, like, you know, how there aren't many small moments that'll stick with you, I'd say the part when Razor skates over to the other team to pay them to use one of his plays so that the (laughs) girls will see how effective they can be. That one's one that sticks with me. And then the relationship, too. Like, Oliver, who's played by Landon Pig, he's the perfect kind of somewhat douchey, somewhat cool, somewhat sensitive guy or gal, or however you wish to identify, that a lot of people tend to hook up with around those times when you're getting out of high school and close to college and so on, because they seem so free and so on. But I like that he wasn't really played up for obnoxiousness again there's just a ton of little details with him like how he has the high score of the pinball game he likes to play stitched into his jacket i also love the way that it ended he might be right he might have just had the shirt in his van and some girl crawled in and took it cool that's not the point the point is is babe ruthless she trusted oliver with everything bringing up another great point when marcia gay harden's awesome line reading when she comes in and she sees Babe Ruthless and it's just that great one-two exchange of Ellen Page saying I can't stand you judging me right now and Marcia Gay Harden her whole body relaxes and she's just he's not worth it it's hard for me to understand what you're going through with this because all the little moments flow together so well and the movie's just built of those little moments, like Razor paying off the other team, like the cute dorkiness of having a pinball high score stitched into your jacket, that I just can't go with you there. So, like, I would say maybe we should just focus on the stuff you did like, because, man, I don't mind being a good cop, but it's tiring. (laughs) 
we're definitely going to have to agree to quasi disagree on this one because <laughs> I don't I don't think this is again this is not a bling ring situation for me and I know I'm definitely coming off a lot harsher on this film than me saying I like it allows but I enjoy the film but I do have some issues with it and those were my issues with it and I think that's essentially why the film doesn't linger with me as much as it does with other people uh, I guess that's also the source of my confusion because your rage at the bling ring was honestly a lot easier to react to because the, the positions were so different maybe you as a parent will understand this or maybe you will find it insulting I don't know let's find out um, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of like how uh, a new parents or people really actually excited to have children of which i am not one of those people who shove their baby at you saying you know oh isn't the baby so cute baby's so cute when to me they're all just the same drooling mess of needs and constant sounds that i'm glad that they see it as cute i'm, I'm you know I'm, I'm glad that they love their baby their ugly ugly baby because i don't think there are pretty babies yes i'm going to scorch the earth now that we've gone this far but in all seriousness it feels like kind of one of those situations to me where i'm like oh well why are you picking on my baby when you're just like well i mean it's just it's a fine baby so i would use the analogy of the people who use marriage for example and they'll say oh like my husband is such a great guy and then they'll proceed to complain about him for, for two hours straight <laughs> and i think that's kind of where i am right whereas Whippet is I'm like oh it's, it's fine like you know yeah come 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 see my my husband whip it ah oh, but let me tell you about Whippet though this is what you know that's where i uh kind of fall in on that i understand it's confusing and i'm sure i'm driving our listeners mad and hopefully <laughs> it won't think but again normally i'm pretty decisive on the films but this is just one of those where i'm like eh, it's it's whipping it's it's fine but it's not great <laughs> you know We've each got our things. I'll just leave you all with, uh, I love Whip It, you roller derby gals. Keep at it. Keep kicking ass. Juliette Lewis is awesome. Marsha Gay Harden is awesome. Daniel Stern's awesome. Ellen Page actually gets a character that gets to be understated for once. I'll close out my good cop routine with Whip It's awesome. Don't let Courtney's indecision fool you otherwise. <laughs> And you know what? I will let you end on that note. Andrew, where can people find you? Uh, well, as I mentioned at the beginning, Can't Stop the Movies is going to be the big one, uh, particularly if you're a Twin Peaks fan or just like my views on movies in general. Other than that, you can reach me at Can't Stop Drew on Twitter, and then I also monitor our Gmail account, um, changing.reels.ac at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, they can find me at our changing reels twitter account uh at changing reels ac and they can also get in touch with me on twitter at small mind as we mentioned earlier tiff is starting this week so just follow that twitter account there's gonna be a whole bunch of stuff already had a frameline episode we did live last week and the recording just went up this week where we interviewed connor jessup who is a actor director i think most americans will probably know him from the abc series american crimes he was on season two and three of that up here in Canada, they'll know him from Closet Monsters, but he had he directed a short film at Toronto International Film Festival, so we talked to him, and we also talked to another short filmmaker, uh, Luis de la Flupis, and they're both great interviews, so we'll post a link to that coming up, and I think there's going to be some more interviews coming up down the pipe through Frameline, and I'll be writing about TIFF for a few other outlets as well, so... You keep denying that you're the mover and the shaker of us two, man, but I'm just sitting here sipping my coffee in Twin Peaks, and you're off getting these big interviews, because American Crime's an awesome show.
It's just being in the right place at the right time. I've been to TIFF like several years, but this year is the first year where I'm doing it as accredited press um, through Frameline. So it's just been a whole new, different experience. I'm just kind of riding the wave and putting my head down and doing the work. That's fair. That's fair. Don't let it get to your head. Me, on the other hand, I'm going to hoping that an interdimensional portal opens up somewhere in my bedroom and Kyle McLaughlin steps out yelling hello. Hey, teach their own. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for listening, and remember, you can change the conversation on diversity one reel at a time. This has been a presentation of the Modern Superior Media Network.